Hey everybody, welcome to episode three of Off the Beaten Clef. This week we decided to talk about The Real Thing by Faith No More, an album from 1989. So, 1989. All right, guys. So, yeah, we're this week we're doing Faith No More, The Real Thing from 1989. Uh, Faith No More is one of my favorite bands of all time, uh, mainly because they are so different. They, they operate in kind of this weird funk metal, alt metal realm that you can't really define very cleanly, especially in their later albums. This album in particular, though, I picked this uh, because it's Mike Patton, who I've talked about already on the show before, uh, he's he's one of my favorite like vocalists just because of what he can do with his voice, not necessarily because he sounds the greatest or he has the cleanest sound or whatever. He just can do – he's an, an alien with his voice. And it really comes through a little bit on this album because he goes from super nasally to straight-up death metal at some points. And it's really, it's really interesting to see somebody that has that kind of talent in their voice. Yeah, he. it's funny because he does try and – Without giving away all my hot takes, yeah. he does like a little Limp Biscuit run here in a couple songs. <laughs> yeah, a little and bit. And then he does a couple growls and like mm-hmm. some like metal things that are like very known in metal. Yeah. And it's just, and his singing is really well done, but yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. It's, it, that's, that's Mike Patton's signature. And I think we were talking a little bit before the podcast where he has a weird side project where he literally has one track. And it's just him making noises with his mouth. He really likes to challenge his listener. He really likes to challenge what the concept of music actually is. And you don't get that as much in this one because it was literally he, the they were this band Faith No More was getting to, ready to record this album, the real thing. But their old lead singer Chuck Mosley was an absolute maniac, and they just couldn't record with him anymore. He would like he would just do weird shit on stage, and they were just tired of him, so they kicked him out, and they went and saw. Mike Patton record with his original band, Mr. Bungle, which is another great, great band. Um, I love Mr. Bungle. Uh, and they really loved him. They're like, this is this guy has the sound that we want. He's got the vocal chops. Him and Chuck Mosley sound similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chuck Mosley was actually the one that Faith No More did the, the, the Dirty Jobs theme song. It's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. That's no that's like from Faith No More. That's one of that's Chuck Mosley Faith No More though. So, um people know more of Faith No More than they actually think they do. So, because they they've been in kind of the pop culture realm a little bit. But yeah, going back into why I chose this album because it was it was just a perfect musical marriage. Faith No More was already kind of weird in their own way and then bringing in Mike Patton who is this guy who loves to challenge norms and loves to push the envelope. Uh, it was really this perfect kind of marriage. Uh, he he's a little bit just slightly more stable than Chuck was. So, uh it, yeah, it was just really good and it it's it's really interesting for me to listen to this album and listen to the risks that they took knowing that this is the first time they had ever worked together 
and they kind of let Mike Patton do his own thing, which is which is rare for a new guy coming into a band. It's more like, hey, we've got this thing that we like to do. You're just kind of going to be here to do what we want to do. So, yeah, I love this album. Normally, it's, bands like change their name and stuff after they change lead singers because it is lead singer is pretty much their identity when it yeah. comes to songwriting and and things like that. I think it helps that they weren't like super well known at the time when they did the switch. I mean, they were they were gaining some like underground following, I think. I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't really alive for the beginning part of Faith No More, so I don't I'm not super like up to date on their early career. I just know the Mike Patton stuff from mm-hmm. mostly because that's what I grew up listening to. Uh, shout out to my older brother for introducing me to Faith No More when I was like 10 years old and like really blowing my mind. Because this is, this is not music a 10-year-old typically listens to. Yeah. I mean, I might not have been 10, but I was young, so I was like an early teenager. Um, but yeah, I wrote down, it feels like a fourth or fifth album with the, the amount of risks that they took just from, just honestly, just from a songwriting. There's the lyrics on some of these songs are so strange and so out there and some of the concepts that they took. And the, just the overall structure of the album is almost disjointed in a way, but it works so as well. So Yeah, I, I kind of share the same sentiment, like, when it comes to in- instrumentally, they are very sound in this. Oh, they're some of the best musicians in the world, I think. I think you have to be to be able to do stuff like this. Uh, we talked before on uh, Jeff Buckley's mm-hmm. album about how hard the bassist went. Yeah. This dude on this album, holy shit. Well, the, yeah, that's Faith No More staple. They're always very bass forward, and I think that's why I really like them a whole lot because I've established, like, I love that sound. It just It's so much different than what you hear, and it, that's it's kind of that very funk inspired part of their music. And it's just, it sounds so fucking cool. Cause it just makes it hit that much more hard. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah. I, I think he was, I, I don't know if this is unfair to say, but it kind of felt like Mike was finding his footing throughout the album. Yeah, I think that's and fair. I, and I, th- without giving away all my hot takes, I think eight, nine, 10 and 11 are where it really hits its stride. And I, those are the songs that I really, really enjoy. I had never heard this album before we did this. It's probably going to be like that for a while until yeah. you and I start picking out. I'm going to intentionally purpose. do that as long as possible. Yeah. I, I might throw one up that I know you and I are going to mm-hmm. like gush over together. But for the most part, I think it's fun for us to challenge each other. Yeah, because I think so too. the first time I listened to this, I think I told you I did not care for it. Yeah. I was like, I was driving and I was like, I don't know about this. <laughs> and it's 55 minutes. So it's, it's kind a of long a slog one. if you're yeah. not into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's because of the first couple songs I wasn't into. I don't think I made it to Surprise You're Dead the first time I listened really? to it. Really? You didn't make it through the first three songs? I made it through the first three songs. I don't think I made it to four. And then I started over from song one. Gotcha. I was like, I need to, I need to get it together and, <laughs> yeah. and readjust. So I worked out to it. And that's where I really found myself enjoying it and really paying attention to the bass. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess that's my opening thoughts. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. So we'll hop right into the the song analysis or whatever you want to call it. And I'll start it off with uh, From Out of Nowhere. I, and I wrote this. It's a very apt song title for the way this album starts because it just boom right into it. You, there's no build up. It's just right into the main riff. And that in and of itself is very unconventional. Uh, I, I love this song. I love every single song I'm on this album. <laughs> just, Spoiler alert. Just so you Kevin's know. gonna like this I one. fucking love <laughs> this album. I love Faith No More. I talked about it a little bit last week. Whenever I go into my Faith No More kicks, I always waver between like which one of their eight albums is my favorite. And yeah, it's, it's I really, really love them. Just for, you know, because again, I've been listening to them my pretty much my entire like musical life. So 
It's a, it's a song about love at first sight. Uh, but musically it's so strange. You've got that, that very ever present synth line in the back again, very forward bass. And it, it, this is where you get that really nasally. It's not nasally. It's a, it's a, it's a stylistic choice that he makes to sing very forward in his mouth. So it sounds nasally, but you can, it's not, you can tell it's not nasally because he has a great control over it. So it's just a stylistic choice that Mike Patton makes. And if you hadn't, if I hadn't heard any of his other stuff where I know he doesn't sing like that all the time, I wouldn't think that, or I wouldn't know that. Uh, it, it's interesting to note that this has actually been in a couple video games before. This was actually in Madden 15. Really? Song. Yeah. It was on one of the EA tracks. No kidding. Or it might've been in Madden 05. It wasn't, it wasn't 15. It wasn't that recent. I don't think. But I it kind of sounds familiar. Um, the guitar kind of sounds like it, it reminds me of a chase scene in an action movie, yeah. or like a protagonist like going to save the day. Mm-hmm. That's it's kind of funny because the song is a little bit about obsession with a girl, and yeah. then at the end she just waves goodbye. So yeah. it's kind of funny that I felt that way. But yeah, that's that was the vibe I got from the the guitar. I felt like. Agent Cody Banks was on his motorcycle. <laughs> I think this song is kind of a good microcosm for what Faith No More is. It's it's crazy and frenetic, but they slow it down like for the pre-chorus and like that one minute here. And like when he like slows it down, you can kind of you can hear how clean and how well thought out everything is, even though it seems chaotic. And it's really kind of them wanting to challenge their listeners. How how weird can we make this and still make it clean and enjoyable to listen to? And that's what I really enjoy about this band in, in general. So, uh, what, what other what other thoughts do you have about from out of nowhere? Do you have anything, or do you want to hop into epic? Uh, just kind of the the lyrics seemed a little, I don't know, basic. Yes, for this I agree. One. I agree. Um, I think that's uh, a lot of that happens in this album until the last four songs, like what you're talking about. Yeah. So it kind of seemed not to judge it too harshly, but on the first song, it kind of seemed like an '80s rock album. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, but yeah, with Epic, which is the second song, it's too, <laughs> the first note I wrote, I was walking at the gym. It's too Limp Biscuit for me. <laughs> That's the, <laughs> I get that, but I disagree totally. I, I, I know what you're saying because it's, he does like a weird funk rap thing throughout the whole thing. And it's more, it's to me, it's more like, uh, like Sugar Hill Gang than it is Limp Biscuit. Yeah. It's more of like an 80s style rap than like the new metal. But I, I totally get where that feedback comes from, though. If if he took that out, I think the rest of the song is, goes actually really hard. Yeah. Um, he also uses the line out of sight, which <laughs> dates the album yeah. a little bit. It's so groovy. It's out of sight. You yeah. can touch it. Smell it. Teach it so sweet. Yeah. yeah that's, that is that, kind of Sugar Hill Gang. That yeah, you say it is. It. It's got that same kind of like... <laughs> It's the same kind of flow that like the early '80s rappers used, but it's they got this really driving funk bass line. It's there's almost no music in it except for the bass. Yeah, that's that was my my one takeaway was the bass definitely slaps, but overall not my cup of tea. Yeah, that's that's interesting because this is far and away their most popular song. Really, this is the song that everybody knows. If you say, "Have you heard a Faith No More song?" and they say yes, it's almost always epic it got i would have huge. never guessed this is the same band yeah, it got, yeah absolutely it's it, again it's not it's i don't really like epic i mean i love epic like i mean don't get me wrong but it's not not even close to my favorite faith no more song one i think it's overplayed two i think it's not musically their best i think they can they do a way better songs than this 
it also bothers me that this is the only song that people know about Faith No More, and they kind of judge them off of this song. Mm-hmm. Again, that doesn't take away from how much how good of a song it is. Uh, the end of the song I love, like the piano outro, where it kind of f- slowly fades into that. It almost reminds me of like a mushroom head feel, where if you've listened to Dollar Beer Night, you know that I love mushroom head, or if you just know mushroom head, they, they have those really kind of creepy get like piano parts, and it kind of reminds me of that kind of feel where it comes down from this nice instrumental like really cool like instrumental guitar and then you get this really cool just clean solo piano to end it and it's just this weird it's very 90s i think mm-hmm. the, the video for this song is really cool um yeah i don't know what else i want to say about epic other than it's an epic song and it was on oh it was also on uh rock band oh this song was in rock band like the first rock band because i remember my buddies couldn't beat it on like expert. And I was like, I fucking know this song. So I hopped on the vocals and I just fucking kicked it out. <laughs> like, I mean, you could see, I mean, like when you brought up one line, I just went into the, like the rest of the verse. Like I yeah. know this song, like the back of my hand, cause I've heard it so many goddamn times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would have never guessed this was their most popular song. And yeah, I, easily. When you show me albums, I try not to look at their Spotify mm-hmm. and see what, I think this, that's a good idea. Just because I would rather, not know i'd rather go in and just look at it as an whole as a whole mm-hmm. i think it's fun to try and pick out what songs you think were singles too i did that with american candy last week too i didn't i didn't well i didn't intentionally look but i, I saw which ones were but I, then i didn't remember but you can kind of tell which ones are more radio friendly than others like this is a radio friendly song i think except for its length yeah <laughs> so but it would have worked in the early 90s for like an alt rock station for sure oh yeah um, so yeah, the next one is falling to pieces. I really like falling to pieces. I think this is, again, it's a just straightforward kind of love. I don't, I don't really don't know what to say about it other than I love this chorus, man. It's just when it, the music drop, like the, when he's goes into the end of the chorus and he's, I'm falling to pieces, somebody put me in that the, the synth comes back in after that. It's just, it's so satisfying. It's such a good chorus and I love a good hook. And this honestly, this is the song I picked this album for. Well, the, the intro dude, without being too yeah. uh, graphic, the drum intro, it was, there's like a bass and then the drums mm-hmm. come in. Uh, it almost calls premature ejaculation. <laughs> I might edit that out later, but I wrote it in my notes. So no, I, I think that's it. good. Keep it in, dude. Um, whoa, like that. Whoosh. Musically, this band is so good, and you it lose you lose sight of it sometimes because Mike Patton is so weird. Uh, in the song structure is kind of weird, but if you really listen to how talented and how good these musicians are and how much thought they had to put into these weird song structures, you're right, dude, because I wrote the same thing. I just wrote, I love a good bass intro. That's my first note on this song. <laughs> I was I was walking around. I, I'll probably remember this forever because I'm going to listen to this song more than after the podcast, but mm-hmm. I remember I was walking. I was like turning a corner on the track they have at the gym, and I heard that, and I was like, let's go <laughs> i like went off my path and i like turned to i was like i gotta listen to that again yeah. immediately yeah um that that was probably the, a good indication that i was gonna like it mm-hmm. because i don't always see eye to eye what he's doing with vocals but mm-hmm. instrumentally holy crap this band's yeah. awesome yeah i think if you do end up listening to faith no more after this um i can give you like what album to listen to next i really think angel dust is what you should listen to next i just wanted you to get a feel for how weird <laughs> this yeah. band is yeah 
but if you do, if you listen to it more, you'll start to really discover how truly what an unmitigated genius Mike Patton is. And because he does a lot, I mean, he writes with the other members of the band, but he's always involved in the writing process somehow. And he always comes up with these really just cool, like poppy, not even poppy, but just, they're just catchy, great hooks and just these really cool, like snapshots of music. Mm-hmm. And that's what that, in, that intro is. It's just, it's a snapshot that you're going to f- remember, you know, that's going to continue to bring you back to that song. And then again, that the end of that chorus always brings me back in because I think just dropping out the music and letting him kind of belt is just so smart. So, yeah. And I, I like the, the meaning behind the song, if I'm interpreting it right, it's kind of talking about the hills and valleys mm-hmm. and trying to sort out your emotions yeah. and kind of trying to find a middle ground. It's really straightforward thematically. I wrote that in my notes as well. But uh, yeah, it's a cool it's a cool song, and it's you start to see a little bit of the depth of Mike Patton in this song. So yeah, and this is second song in a row that the bass just goes slaps. Yeah, he just does his own thing. Um, whatever his name is, I want to shake your hand, sir. Yeah. Uh, so you want to talk about surprise you're dead, which Thanks. is again, one of my favorite song titles of all time. <laughs> uh, what an erratic masterpiece yeah, is dude. what I wrote. Um, this was the first time the, the album caught my attention. Um, because like I had mentioned earlier, I listened to songs one, two, three, didn't really get into it, but I believe this song is about killing someone over and over again in purgatory. If I'm interpreting, <laughs> it's probably lyrics. right. Um, but it's my favorite song on this album. No surprise, um, because of the gang vocals when the surprise you're dead <laughs> that gets me hyped up. And you know that's something that a lot of bands that I listened to in like 2010 when I was in high school that started s- circulating again mm-hmm. was a lot of the hard rock bands did the the gang vocals and I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also read online not to, to encroach on all your notes. No, 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 you're good. Um, I, I didn't, I literally just reacted to, I didn't do any research in this album. I just reacted in the moment for my notes. So go for it. So genius, uh, told me that this song was originally written in the 1970s by Jim Martin when he was a band in a band called angels of misfortune with Cliff Burton of Metallica. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. That's why the song doesn't really feel like it fits the rest of the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I'm I'm glad they did. I'm glad they fit it in here. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this is such a good troll. Like, I love the fact that this is the fourth song on this album. After three pretty radio-friendly songs, all of a sudden you get thrown into this just wicked metal song. I mean, at some point he does like a death metal scream at, in the, like the pre-chorus. He's like, now you are mine. And he like, that's literally what it sounds like. That's never happened up until this point in the album. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And then like to get that really, I, this, this album is like a master class in like guitar chug. I love a good guitar chug. Well, it, yeah, yeah. It's just so good, man. So, so fucking good. Um, and this is again, it's, this is Mike Patton and faith no more really challenging the listener's willingness to move on from this point, because if you can make a past surprise, you're dead after, if you really liked the first three songs, <laughs> there's a solid chance you don't like the fourth one. And I love that. I love the fact that they do that because it's like, fuck you if you don't like it and you're missing out on the rest of the album i guess uh, it's just so cool and I, I wrote in my notes it actually reminds me of primal concrete sledge by um pantera there's actually there are a couple of pantera songs that i that this album reminds me of and primal concrete sledge is from the very beginning hard to listen to but it rewards you in the end with some really fucking good metal 
And I think that's what this song is too. It, it, it kicks you right in the face and it doesn't apologize for it. And, and like, this, oh, this is the album you're listening to now. I hope you like it. Yeah. And this isn't, this didn't come out in a time with CD players. This is a cassette. So if you don't yeah. like this song, good luck trying to fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that. Like we have access to like being able to switch songs, but this probably came out at a time they weren't able to. And that's, yeah. that's really fun for me to think about. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think it's such a funny troll. And I often think about uh, Mudvayne and how what a big troll they were in the like early 2000s because they had a lot of really good like radio friendly songs. So there's probably a lot of like suburban dads that bought that Mudvayne, that like first Mudvayne album, like, oh, yeah, I like their stuff. And then they actually turn it on and listen to the rest of the album. And it's metal. Like, this is fucking metal. Like, Mudvayne is not radio friendly. And it's always so funny to me because they won a fucking Grammy that year. And they went up with in their fucking weird stage outfits. And everybody's like, what the fuck is going on? We didn't know this is what they were. And so I love, I love musical trolls like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Are you, are you done with Surprise You're Dead? Yep. That's really all I had. So that's your favorite song on the album, right? Yeah. Mm, Zombie Eaters is my favorite song on the album. Because, again, this is a, brings back another Pantera reference. And it, it's very much like uh, Cemetery Gates by Pantera, where it's this very soft, like almost ballad-like song for like the first three minutes. And then all of a sudden, it's like, this is metal again. Get used to it. It's a it just gets back into that really like chunky, chunk, like chuggy guitar. And Mike Patton, I was almost like yelling at you. And I wrote this song is like crack to me. I could listen to this song every single day and still love it the same. It's, it's, it's weird because I, I think it made me laugh once I finally listened to the lyrics of this song for the first time. And I realized it was about a baby, like basically a baby's inner monologue while interacting with his mother and it's just really funny because it does if you listen to it it's 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 kind of wholesome but it's like it's also kind of like this baby is like kind of an asshole i looked up the lyrics <laughs> and was listening along and the first thing i thought was what in the stephen king shit is this yeah, it's so strange because it's this really like heavy dark almost malicious feel to it but it's like this baby he's like i hope you never leave like I, I live my life through you. Like you have to feed me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like here I lay in my crib. It's it's, it's just, it's literally, there's no extra meaning to it other than Mike Patton wanted to write a metal song from the perspective of a baby. And just the fact that that I could say that sentence. And then there's something musically that represents that sentence is fucking awesome to me. Yeah. I, I wrote, I'm a sucker for an acoustic song that mm-hmm. explodes into mm-hmm. something. And you know, that is what's contagious about this album is it's going to turn a corner and it's going to rock the fuck out. Mm-hmm. And a- any song has that potential. Yeah. Well, it's the way this, this turns, it's like a very long drawn out note. And then it goes, bam, bam. And then the, boom, 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 bam, bam. Hey, look at me lady. And it just comes out of nowhere. I'm just a little baby. <laughs> it doesn't, it just makes no sense. And it's just like, it just fucking just kicks you right in the face again. And I love shit that does that where it just takes this turn that it's like, whoa, what song am I listening to? And it ends up still being really good. If you can do that and still make a song enjoyable, you've got my vote. I, I, I love zombie eaters. And it, again, it, I, 
<laughs> a great song title as well. Zombie Eaters about a song. It's a metal again. It's a metal song about the inner monologue of an actual baby called Zombie Eaters. Called Zombie Eaters. <laughs> that is that. If that's not faith, no more. I don't know what is. Um, <laughs> I don't have anything else to say. Go listen to it. It's a great song. Um, do you want to talk about the real thing, the title track from the album? Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to have to explain something real quick before I explain my thoughts about the song. Okay. You ever seen that, that TikTok where someone's using the voice of Carl? They're like, I want to park that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. In the garage. And then someone's like, crash. <laughs> when he says hypnotize. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like crash. Yeah. from the TikTok. Hypnotize. And I was laughing for a good couple minutes. Um it's a decent song. Yeah. It's 8 minutes long. <laughs> so long it really uh I like Here's the things I did like about the song. Mm-hmm. At the very end it starts to fade out and then it like revs back up mm-hmm. with some distortion. I thought that was really cool to make you think the song's almost over and then it's like don't uh turn up the radio. It's about to get loud again. And I I really like that. I thought it was a, an interesting way the song set up, yeah. but uh, yeah, I don't have a whole lot besides the hypnotize. <laughs> and there is like, this is a song I was talking about where there is some like really metal, um, vocal things that he uses. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, those are, those are things I really enjoy when it comes to metal is, uh, growling and, you know, go using those pitches mm-hmm. with screams. So, yeah, I mean, my first note in this is what a tasty little drum open to a soaring acid trip of a song. Uh, and that's exactly what this song is. It's literally, it's legitimately three different songs rolled up into one little tasty burrito. Uh, it, again, it's a great little, it's a microcosm of what this album is. So it's a good thing that it's the album, the, the title track. It's got great hooks, a, another great chug in the chorus. Uh, bass is leading. Uh, it, again, is it my favorite song? No, but there is some moment. There's like, again, those musical snapshots that you're going to remember this song for are ever present in the song. It is very, very long. <laughs> I think that really, really kind of turns me off on it a little bit, but it is, it's a great song. And I think this is one of my favorite, like vocal performances from Mike Patton on this, this album mm-hmm. as well. Cause he kind of does it all. He does like the really clean, like sustained vocals. He does the metal stuff. He kind of, you can see like he had the amount of like range he has. He has one of the greatest, like biggest vocal ranges. I think of any vocalists that's ever, saying on a, a, a record that people have heard so yeah yeah it, it, again it's very very long and it kind of turns me off on it but it is a, it's still a very good song and worth listening to but it is if it's if i wasn't listening to it for a podcast would i have skipped it probably yeah it's it's hard to find the time mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> I mean, exactly for fuck's sake um i listened to it and i looked at my car and i was like there's no way this song is still going <laughs> it's still like, on it seemed like it's you said it best. It's like three songs in one. It is. Well, I mean, just both in length and the way it's written. So, yeah. Gird your loins if you're going to listen to this song all the way through. It's it's worth it for sure. But if you've listened to this album a million times like I have, I usually just click to the next one. Mm-hmm. I would probably skip over the next one too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, this is why I'm surprised you said you like the backs, back part of this album because this song is... This feels like they found a song from 1984 that they wrote, like at a high school prom or yeah. something, and they were like, "You know what? Let's slap it on there." We, 
I don't want 10 songs. I want 11. Yeah, this, this, this doesn't fit at all. Yeah, this feels like a, probably one of the first or second songs that they probably wrote for this album. But I do kind of like it. Uh, it's Again, it's not my favorite song on the album, but I, it reminds me of Octopus's Garden from Abbey Road. It, for a couple reasons. Uh, the aquatic theme is a complete coincidence. But what Octopus's Garden does on Abbey Road is it takes what was a very, very heavy first half of the album and lightens it back up. It's Ringo Starr being Ringo Starr, being a goofball, singing about an octopus's garden. And it's just, it's just so, it, just, it doesn't even seem to fit with the rest of the album. And I don't think this song really fits with the rest of the album. I mean, yeah, you can hear like the tones that they use with the bass and all that. But I think this operates in much the same way where it, it, even on the way, like the way it falls on the jacket, like Octopus's Garden is the first song on the second column of the songs on the the jacket. This is the first song on the second half of the album, and I think it's just it, it, weird. As I was listening to it, I kind of found those parallels where this does the same thing that Octopus's Garden does in Abbey Road. It kind of lightens it up. It kind of it's like a palate cleanser for the rest of the album, which gets so fucking weird, even weirder than the rest of the album, which already has a metal song about a baby. <laughs> yeah, uh I thought the bass sounded like a si- like a Seinfeld transition yeah. Ba- bass. Yeah, it's again, it's not it, there's nothing special here. It, it's a cool song. Uh it, it's it's really dark too. Like he's <laughs> the, the way he describes a love is basically we're both drowning and he describes drowning in a most like at a really like Again, this is Mike Patton being a troll. He makes a song that sounds poppy, and then he's talking about like violently drowning. <laughs> like the lyrics are very violent, but again, it's it's him kind of challenging established norms in pop and rock at the time, mm-hmm. and even now. But it's just that's funny. That's the, that's the reason I didn't like it. I was like, this sounds like an '80s rock yeah. song that my dad would have made me listen to, right? Um, but lyrically, he's kind of poking fun of that as, at that as well. I think it's it's done intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't mean that I like it, but I think it's funny to think about it from the way Mike Patton thought about it, where it's like, I'm going to make fun of this poppy shit that I don't really like, and I'm going to make the lyrics really fucking dark. Yeah. I think the best part of the song is the last 30 seconds with the instrumental, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it kind of takes that momentum into the next song, which is one of my favorites as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead and start out talking oh. about the morning after. Um the morning after this song is the uh transition like I mentioned earlier. It's the transition into my favorite part of the album. Uh so this might be where I get a little gushy where I might have been a little bit more negative at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um I'm thirsty for my sleep. There are no answers anyway. Oh shit. <laughs> Man. That's another line. I think I mentioned it in Jeff Buckley's episode. Mm-hmm. Uh Luckily, I didn't hear this in junior high. Yeah, right. Um, but what a cool last line for a song. Yeah. I. What do you think this song is about? I don't know. The way, since you asked me that, I have no idea. I legitimately think it's about somebody waking up and realize they've been turned into a vampire. He talk- That's funny you say that, because the next next line I have, Genius says, it can be interpreted literally as the morning after a sexual encounter, or possibly even the birth of a vampire. Yeah, I think I think that's what it is. I think when you read when you read the lyrics and you listen to them, you it li- kind of does seem like a vampire. It's like it's somebody waking up and it's called the morning after, like being turned into a vampire, and you're like, oh shit, there's blood on my face. 
oh shit, what is what is this? Like I'm dead, but I'm not. And it's like it, it, I really think. <laughs> I think it's just a song about turning into a vampire, which made me fucking crack up when I was listening to it because it really is like musically. It's really cool. And really, I think this, I think what you told me earlier was like, you felt like the album was just beginning at this point. And I really, I think you're right. I think the last four songs on this album, you get more of a glimpse of what faith no more becomes in their later albums. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't mean that like, I don't like the other songs. No, no, I just no, think yeah, it's sure. more focused. Mm-hmm. Like, I like albums that like have like a through line and Mm -hmm. this is where it kind of felt like now we've got momentum. This is the theme and it's going to keep going. And yeah, that I think that's why I don't like underwater love is because it kind of felt like it's different. Again, it's that kind of weird kind of palate cleanser. And I I agree. It's the, it feels like the first song they wrote for this album when they didn't really know what they wanted to do with it. And they're like, Oh, okay, well let's throw Mike Patton, make fun of, you know, love songs here yeah like no, no one had the balls to t- tell him no like, yeah yeah what if we wrote like a really poppy song but it was like as a joke all right whatever you say as long as you make it up on stage yeah and uh, i i do like it i um this is another one that i don't listen to as often though this is not one of the songs that stands out for me on this album but i do i think it's hilarious that it really is just probably about it's either somebody losing their virginity because it talks a lot about blood being everywhere and it's like well what the fuck happened last night <laughs> yeah but i really do think it is just about a vampire and that's fucking hilarious to me because it, it, you you'll find that in a lot of metal too where it's just this is a song about a dragon <laughs> and nothing else this is a song about pirates and nothing else and i love that about metal it's so earnest and so just nerdy mm-hmm and it is it, very it doesn't dirty. apologize for it either. It's like, well, I wanted to write a song about what it would be like to wake up as a vampire. <laughs> and here you go. I yeah, I think the optimist in both of us is like, you know what? That's what it's going to be cuz if not, that's like a really fucked up song. Well, I could also see it being that cuz Mike Patton is fucked up. Yeah. Um as we can see with the last song on the, <laughs> the, the album. Um but I again, I think it's not that he's fucked up. I think he likes to challenge his listeners and his audience. So yeah. Uh, woodpecker from Mars. Uh, I, I guess I'll start on this one. I think it's a cool instrumental. It just goes about three minutes too long. Uh, but again, it's very, it's again, it's all about challenging the limits of the audience. And I think that's what this instrumental is for uh, because it's, it's weird, but it's also really good. Uh, like the, the, we, I don't even know what it is. It's like an accordion synth that plays throughout the, the, <laughs> <laughs> like over these really I, I cool figure it out. I was going to ask you what that was. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that sound is, but it plays throughout the whole thing. And it's almost like a circusy over like this really good kind of metal instrumental, uh, and metal instrumentals tend to be long. Like I think thinking about Orion by Metallica, great instrumental, but again, just too long. It's yeah. almost masturbatory at, at some point. But again, knowing what I know about Mike Patton and Faith No More and the way they like to challenge their listener, I know I've said that a billion times this episode, but that's really what Take they're a drink all about. Every time yeah, every Mike time Patton I say challengers, every time Mike challenges the listeners, um, get shitty. I I told you this before the show. I felt like this instrumental. It felt like we were in like old Egypt. I don't. Yeah. I, well, that's yeah. That's kind of what Egypt. That's exactly what that sound is that we can't define. It sounds like something you would hear in like a bazaar in a movie. It's almost like Arabian in a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just, I just don't know how to define that sound. And it, it just kind of throws off what is actually going on in the instrumental. 
again, I know they're not terrible. I know they're not bad musicians. So I know it was intentional. It's just so strange to kind of get into that headspace. Like, okay, I know this was intentional, but why the fuck was it intentional? And why did they do this? Well, they probably did an instrumental song and they're like, Mike's like, hey, can I sing over this? And they're like, you know what? No. <laughs> what if we put this in there, though? Yeah. Like, to mask. I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if that was like a very modulated track of Mike Patton's voice doing that weird noise. Because he's done shit like that before on some of his side projects. And so I wouldn't, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, it would be, it would be surprising because it's the first time they all worked together that they would let him do something that strange, but it's not out of the realm of possibility for something that he would try. Uh, I also have a question for you. Is there a, is that a violin? There's like a violin solo at like minute two. Possibly. This song's weird. Yeah. I didn't, I hadn't heard a violin in the rest of the songs. So it's I, called Woodpecker from Mars. And <laughs> it's a song about Woody Woodpecker from all I can, from all I've been able to gather from it in my little bit limited research that it, this is the one song I actually looked a little bit up about. I think it's just about Woody Woodpecker and just, it, it's a kind of a trolley weird song. Like Woody Pecker is Woody, Woody Pecker, Woody Woodpecker is a strange kind of trolley weird character that is kind of forgotten in Americana now. Uh, yeah. No, you're right. Um, the next one, number 10, War Pigs. Yeah, man. I like this cover a lot. Yeah, it's a great cover. I, I'm i not like a huge like Homer on Black Sabbath, so mm-hmm. I, I can really appreciate this cover. Um, and I watched a couple YouTube videos of them doing it with Ozzy Osbourne, and it was really, it was really fun to watch mm-hmm. them perform that together. Is that all you got? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't have much on this either. I mean, listen to War Pigs. It's, it's, again, it's a long, long song. War Pigs is long. It's slow. Was the original War Pigs that long? I don't remember it being. Yeah, well, the original War Pigs is long. Was it? Yeah, it's like eight minutes long. There must be a radio edit. I've yeah, there's definitely a radio edit for sure, but the original is like eight minutes long. Like the intro itself is like three minutes long in the original War Pigs. Um, yeah, it, 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 I, what I wrote is it's a really great cover that just adds a little bit more ass. Like there's just a little bit more thick. It's it's a thicker cover. Like the guitars are thicker, the bass is thicker, the drum is thicker. Even Mike Patton's vocal is a little thicker, and I think you can really see his actual kind of real vocal chops here. I mean, he's not just playing around and being a goofball. Um, yeah, I, re- I really, really, really like this cover, and it, it, this is something that Faith No More does really well. They do covers really well on Angel Dust. What I talked about earlier, they do a cover of Sunday Morning, and it's it's my favorite version of that song. Really? Yeah, the Lionel Richie song. Mm-hmm. It's so, so, so good. So they, they're known for, like, they're not known for it, but they do when they decide to do a cover. They do it right, and they 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 do it in a way where it pays homage to the original, where they're not trying to, like, make it their own song and do too much with it, but you can, it's so, it's it's just different enough to where it's, it just, it enhances the original song, and it's, it's just so well done, and I, I think... More than anything, it shows the reverence they have for good music, where they don't, where they're not, yeah, there's this kind of like masturbatory, like, look how weird and how much we're going to challenge you. But when they do have to do somebody else's thing, they do it and they pay respect to it and they do it in a really cool and different, but also kind of the same way. Yeah. And I think being able to do a song that's, that was 19 years later and now it's been 30 years since mm-hmm. that. So the original was almost 50 years old, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Yeah. But, it does have like a more more energy to it, and I don't mm-hmm. think that's that's on accident. No, I definitely think it's on purpose. 
uh, one example I point to to a really great cover is I forget what the it was like the MTV icon or whatever I forget what the actual show was called but they would like honor an artist and people would come on and play their songs and like say hey we love you like the music community as a whole loves you and they did one for Metallica and Korn came on and did a cover of one and it's so fucking good and one is one of the my favorite Metallica songs. It's it's a great, great, great song. It's just well constructed, and it's just it's an absolute banger, man. And Corn came on and made it better. Like it was just it's objectively better in almost every single way. And they it, they did it live too, which is so much more impressive. Like they brought the fucking house down with that song. It just it's really good because again, Corn has a thicker sound than Metallica does on the, on the most part. On you know, on the I don't know what I'm saying. For the most part, they have a thicker sound because it's very bass-driven, like I talked about it um, on our last uh, Queen City podcast where Fieldy is a very heavy bass player. They they play in drop D, so it just sounds thicker. Yeah. And making one a thicker song, which is already about a guy losing his limbs and his sight because of war and stepping on a landmine, and it's got this really powerful like ending to it. Whew. Man, they killed it. And so I think they do the same thing here with War Picks on this out to bring it back around. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally agree. It's it's always cool to hear covers because a lot of people are very protective of the yeah. originals, which I understand. But there's also cool things that artists can see and they're better at and they can convey it better. Uh-huh. And I don't know. I, I always think – I never think of covers of, as them trying to like – it's always trying to pay homage. Yeah. If people are doing covers maliciously, then yeah, normally or just you to can like not give it. credit to. There's a, that's the difference between like a a cover and plagiarism. Mm. Uh, yeah. So moving on from that, let's go to Edge of the World, which is the end of the album. And I think what a good again, what a great title for the end of this album, where you you are literally at the edge of the musical world at this point, or you're at the edge of your limitations, or yeah, it just I wrote um this album takes the edge of the world and lets them kind of teeter there. And throughout this song, this song I can kind of I it can you can feel Mike Patton doing like a weird sway behind you as he's like kind of like teasing like he touching you with his toe, like almost trying to ready to push you off the edge and, and this song is very sleazy. Um both in the way it sounds and I love it. I fucking love the way this song sounds. Like the the yeah, at the very beginning. Yeah, that was really cool. It's very reminiscent of Mr. Bungle, like some of the stuff he does with Mr. Bungle, where it's kind of it's very kind of uh, almost jazzy in a way, and it also reminds me of a side project he did not too long ago, like 2012 or something, called Peeping Tom, where he and that's the name of the side project. But it's really cool. It's really very jazzy and very. It sounds very very much like the, you would love that if you like this song, you would love that album. Um, he has a lot of like feature. He did. It's like a feature album where every there's a new artist on every track, and mm-hmm. it's really, really fucking cool. Yeah, this is like a really creepy, sexy jazz club mm-hmm. song. Yes, that's perfect. Uh, but it's a great way to finish the album because it has been such a weird, wild. Yeah. You know, we're talking about babies talking to their moms and. <laughs> Waking up as a vampire. So, what's the difference? Right. I, I put it. It's the jazzy feel almost like, feels like a fuck you, but a congrats for making it this far. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah. hey, this is what this this is the kind of sound we can make, and it's super pleasing. But so, fuck you. But also, congrats, you made it. You made it to the edge of the world. Yeah, uh, that's what I said. I said this whole album has been metal rock, and then you just take a sharp right turn off the metal highway, and next thing you know, you're at the edge of the earth, mm-hmm. edge of the world. And I thought it was a 
a good album closer. Yeah. And when we do albums every week, you start noticing patterns and, and things that you really appreciate in music, especially in albums as a whole. It's hard. It's probably hard to construct an album, especially if you've done it a couple times. But having a good starter and finisher is what makes a, a good album, mm-hmm. I think. And Edge of the World, I I don't know if From Out of Nowhere is like the best one I would have started with, me personally, but Edge of the World is the best way to end mm-hmm. it. I like, I like From Out of Nowhere just because it literally comes from out of nowhere. Literally like, hey, you're listening to an album now, whether you like it or not. Uh, so... But I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's not my favorite opening to an album, but I, I like it just for, again, for the kind of trolley aspect of it. Real, in reality, this song is about a sleazy, sleazy man trying trying to pick up, like, much younger women. I don't think it's in the pedophilia range, but it's certainly, like, a much older man picking up much younger women. Well, he said something about being in his 40s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's probably like a guy in a club picking up girls that are like eighteen and nineteen that are that are in this club, and it's a, and again, Mike Patton isn't that guy. Like he's never been me tooed. He's not that guy. I just think he likes challenging, and I think he likes writing sleazy characters. I think he, one of the lines in the song is like, "Let me see those pearlies. I'd do anything for the young girlies," or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's just this. It's really funny, but it's uh, it's funny in like this weird, creepy kind of way. Cause that's a funny line. Like, let me see those parties. And it's just, yeah. Yeah. And he has a voice that sounds kind of sleazy and creepy. Like I can, like I said, he's kind of has like the snake like feel. You can see him like in the zoot white zoot suit, kind of like squirming around a club, like talking to girls, like blowing his disgusting (laughs) breath in their face. Like, Hey little girly, let me see those pearlies. Hey, can I buy a, a drink? Dang it! All my eyes melted. Yeah, mine too. There it is. <laughs> um, he kind he kind of reminds me of. Do you remember my album from uh, Dollar Beer Night? It was Say Anything's Is Real mm-hmm. Boy. Yeah, I'm probably gonna recycle that at one point because I think it's worth you you and I putting our heads together yeah. and looking at it again. Sure. He does the same thing with with satire where he just like completely dives into these like asshole characters, yeah. and you're like, wait. What? Yeah. You have to like look up the lyrics and you're singing along to this catchy chorus and you're like, that sounds wrong. <laughs> yes, so you look is... it up and you're like, nope, that's right. Yep, that's, that's a weird thing that I've been singing along to <laughs> yeah. at Kroger. So I I think it's a really fun, because you get so caught up in the chorus and sometimes, you know, you trail off. You're not paying to paying attention to the lyrics mm-hmm. as much. That's really fun. Yeah. And again, it's... It does what the, this whole album does and really what Faith No More does over their entire discography and where it, it lays out these very weird themes and like challenging lyrics in a very accessible way musically because you can hear the musical talent and you you want to kind of like bop your shoulders or bang your head to it. Like I was listening, I was listening to surprise you're dead as I was coming into your driveway and I was, I was fucking rocking out, dude. Because that chorus is just such a good chug. Uh, but again, it's about a guy killing a guy over and over again. And <laughs> at the end, he's just getting frustrated because he can't kill this guy. It's like, it never, ever ends. And it's like, <laughs> it's so stupid. But it's so, so cool at the same time. I love it. I, I just love it, man. I think he's, I think everyone in this band is a genius. I really do. It, it's, it, it, it all at once takes itself very seriously, but not seriously at all. And I really love that. 
and that kind of goes into my final thoughts about the album. Do you have, did you have anything else about like the edge of the world that you wanted to talk about? Or? No, no, we can get into uh, closing thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I feel about this album. I wrote, um, what a setup for what ends up being one of the most unique and influential bands in metal slash all metal world. You can, you can talk to pretty much any metal artist and they'll cite faith no more in some way or another. And one of their albums, because they're all incredibly different albums too. Like they're so, so different. Like King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime is more of like a straight up rock album, and it's really it's very very accessible. Um, whereas Angel Dust is <laughs> fucking weird, but it's also very good. It's like a very straight up metal album, mm-hmm. and there's just you go through their discography, and it's really really cool because every album is different. And but it's also they also maintain this through line of this is Faith No More sound that very bass driven heavy. Um. Yeah, just it's it's a unique sound. Like you know a Faith No More song when you hear it, even if you've never heard it before. Once you've listened to them, you know what they sound like. Yeah. Dang it! I said yeah again. Take a shot. <laughs> I've said um. I've said um a bunch too. So <laughs> we both before the show, just for a little background, we both said I, I was I was told Dylan I was like I'm going to stop saying um so much and I'm going to stop saying so so much to kind of fill in the blank space because it's just what I do in conversation, especially when talking into a microphone. And you're like, yeah, I got to stop saying yeah so much. But you know, we it, it did not happens. do that. It fucking happens, guys. Sorry, it's this podcasting seems easy, but when you really get critical of your own performance, it's it's a little bit harder. We're going in. This is episode three, so mm-hmm. I think there's room for improvement. Is what we're what we're <laughs> yeah. getting at. We're, we're not perfect. We're never. That's why people should keep listening. Right. We're never going to be the best. We're never going to be perfect because what's the fun in that? Yeah. Shit. You're right. You are right. <laughs> you are right. I agree with that point, Kevin. I concur. Thank I'm you, Dylan. Start saying that, uh, you can tell this band is trying to to find its new identity in this new album mm-hmm. or in this album because there is a new singer. I think his handprints are all over it. Obviously, mm-hmm. we've talked about the the lyrics. I just love how all over the place it is mm-hmm. because I think thematic albums are fun, but so are erratic albums. Yes. It's good to have a mixture of both, and I'm glad you you hit me with this after hitting me with uh, Jeff Buckley, which is so cohesive and so just well put together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I think what you just said is pretty astute, actually, even because you've never heard any other Faith No More album, to my knowledge, right? No. So this this album it does sound like a a, a push and pull between like the Chuck Mosley Faith No More, where it was it was very much like the From Out of Nowheres where the back half of this album takes on much more of Mike Patton's actually personality, where I said like, this actually sounds like one of his side projects or like his original band much more than the rest of the album does. So I think that's again, um, like a good observation without even, even knowing any of their other discography. So the fact that you heard that I think is pretty interesting. Uh, songs eight through 11, I think really drive that home because mm-hmm. I've, I've already said it, so I'm not going to repeat myself, but you know, they, they really start finding their sound, and I think that would. I texted you and I said, "I feel like the album just began." That's kind of what would make me want to listen to their next album. Like if this came out right now, I would want to. I would be like, "I cannot wait for what they're going to do next," because it feels like they're 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 moving towards something. Yeah. So it probably will drive me to to listen to their next album. Yeah, I mean, like they've been doing this shit forever. Like the original band formed in like the late seventies. <laughs> Uh, and you know, just because of the the erratic nature of their lead singer, they only put out two albums before 1989 when Mike Patton came on, and they've been making music. I mean, they they released 
shit, I don't know, six or seven albums before they went on a long hiatus, and then they re-released us a new album in 2018, which upon my first, it's called Soul Invictus, and upon my first listen, I was like, man, this sucks. But then I listened to it again, I was like, wait a second, no, this fucking rocks. Um, yeah, it's, it's so Faith No More, I think, is that's how you listen to Faith More. You first listen, you're like, this kind of sucks. But there's something about it that you want to listen to it again, and then you like, then you try to start to figure it out, and you're like, oh, okay, I get it. You silly, silly <laughs> bastards. Um, I, I did want to say this uh, because I wrote this down. Um, it's just like my final thought on what we're talking about here. Um, I wrote Faith No More will forever be one of my favorite. Sorry, one of my favorite things to ever happen to music because they toe the line of being evocative and provocative, but they wrap it in an incredibly tight and clean musicianship to make the perfect little insane burrito. Yeah, he he couldn't get away with most of the, the lyrical things that he's no. saying if they weren't so strong instrumentally. Yeah. And I think that's something that was really cool. Like, if this was their first album and they weren't as, like, structurally sound, mm-hmm. I don't think it would work. No, I, I agree. I think, you know, you have to... This 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 band and this album works because of what you're talking about, because they are so tight and they are so focused on what they want to do even if what they want to do isn't focused at all it's kind of like what we were talking about last week being becoming unlost and i think that's what exactly what faith no more is they are unlost but they let the kind of wild wild nature of what they're doing kind of take control so that kind of is a culmination of of that kind of feeling Mm -hmm. i went mm -hmm this time Mm -hmm. uh yeah i I think if if people are having a hard time listening to it all the way through, try what I did. Yeah, work out to it because it is it's got energy and it's yeah, got momentum to in it. In spades, it has energy. So if you, I don't, I don't know if you, how hard you guys try and listen to the albums we talk <laughs> yeah. about, but it definitely uh, it it pushed me over the edge and it, it got me hooked. Or throw it on random. Yeah, because there's really, I mean, there is a structure to this album, and I want to say that there isn't, but this is a song, this is an album you can definitely listen to in out of order and get, a, you know, the same kind of enjoyment out of it because it is to somebody who doesn't know anything about Faith No More, it seems almost random the way they're placed. So definitely, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I don't have anything else to say. Um, what album do you? Because I, I don't know. This is the first time we've come in, and I don't know what album you have prepared for me. I have been really struggling to think of one because I want to make it drastically different. Mm-hmm. So I went with an album that I too am a, not as familiar with as I have been with. Interesting, uh, cool. Uh, American Candy. It's one that I was really into in junior high. Oh, it's God. by a band called The Used. Okay, it's called like, Li- Lies for Liars. I like The Used. So uh, Lies for the Liars. Okay, I'm sure. Um, there's there's some popular songs on there. But it came out in 2007, and it's a wild ride. I've been listening to it the past <laughs> couple of days. Um, yeah, when I I was driving home from work today, and I was like, I put it on, and I was like, this is it. Yeah. Th- um, it's yeah. We'll, that's we'll kind of that's kind of what happened with this album too. I I put it on. I was like, this is it. This would make a good podcast. Uh, so I'm excited because I I know this band, which, but I don't know much about them. So it'll be interesting to kind of dig into them. It, they come out in this this kind of era where I wasn't really listening to new rock. Uh, so, yeah, I'm kind of excited. This was, I would say, as they're transitioning out of emo into rock. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a perfect uh, a mesh of those two. So without doing two episodes in one. 
we'll get out of here. Does that sound See you next time. Yeah. See you guys.